first message that the Lord instructed me to aim towards you uh, in this series, uh, Fundamental Health, and it starts now. In 2020, we were all attacked in various ways. Can I get a witness if you had a stressful 2020? But the focus of the attack of our enemy, and I do believe it was an attack of the enemy. I don't believe it was just, you know, this sickness or this disease or whatever. I believe everything in the earth you can trace back to a spiritual source, either good or evil. And I believe it was a design attack against us. And, but but the, the focus of the attack, there's many uh, results and things that have played out as a result of everything that we went through in 2020. But, but the focus of the attack, I believe, was our minds. It, it, it does something to your mind when 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter where you go, you are being faced with fear. Fear nonstop. Fear about your economic standing, fear about your health, fear about your society, fear about your government, fear about your future, just fear over everything. Still to this day, even though we're in a new year, if you, once you leave this church, anywhere you go in this city, you'll have to deal with the residual effects of really what amounts to a whole lot of fear. And I believe the target and the reason for the release of this fear was to attack our minds. Now, for the Christian, mental stability is the greatest ability. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about it. For the Christian, mental stability is the greatest ability because the Apostle Paul teaches us that it is with the mind that we serve the Lord. So the question to the seasoned Christian and to the new Christian alike is how do we recalibrate mentally after all that we've been through? And the answer is, according to the text we read in Isaiah, to go back to the bedrock of our faith, to redig the wells that first watered us and reignite our love for biblical truth. To examine with fresh eyes the fundamental practices of our faith. And if we do that, it will bring us back to a fundamental health. The antidote for whatever poison you are plagued with is hidden inside a fundamental truth you have either forgotten or ignored. I'm going to say that again because Pastor Coker told me to. The antidote for whatever poison is plaguing you today, no matter what area of your life it is, the antidote for it is hidden somewhere in a simple fundamental truth. You already know, but you've either forgotten or ignored. I say it to you all the time. Most, for the most part, the answer you need is not coming through something new. The answer you need is coming through something you already know, but just have not practiced the right way. So over the next few weeks, we're diving into core principles of our faith, core principles of our belief system to recalibrate our minds and prepare 
for blessing and increase that comes from a good God who blesses his people when they obey his word. So we're going to start today, the first Sunday of the year, by talking about why we put God first as it pertains to our financial life. Why do we tithe anyway? And there's a lot to it. You know, on the surface, it seems like something minor. It's actually something major for your spiritual life. And I aim to show you before the end of the service how it even spills over into your mental life and well-being. How you spend your money habitually, regularly, determines what your greatest values are and what you value the most in life. I can tell what's really important to you by looking at what you're willing to spend money on. Take a deep breath. It's going to get worse. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, that where your treasure is, your heart is. He draws a line of connection between where your treasure goes and where your heart goes, that your heart will always be aimed in the direction of treasure, of your treasure. What you spend reveals what you value. Now, tithing is a fundamental Christian discipline. And even though I'm talking about it, I don't want all of the tithers that say I'm already a tither. I know about tithing. I don't want you to unplug your mind because I really want to drill down into this is so important. Those of us that do it, though we do it and do it regularly, you must never fall into the trap of doing it with your heart detached. You must never fall into the trap of doing it absent of faith in your heart while you're doing it. Okay. It can't become just vain tradition. You know, my grandmama tithe, my mama tithe, I was raised to tithe, and so I've tithed all my life. And you just tithe without even thinking about it, without, without it becoming a spiritual, a spiritual practice. Tithing in faith, knowing what the scripture says and believing what the scripture says about it, infuses your tithe with supernatural potential and can produce powerful things in your life. But in the church, it's a really, and I'm surprised by this, but it's a really uh, misunderstood concept and principle. And as the Lord, as the Lord leads our church, um, it's so interesting to me. We've got such a mixture, such a mosaic of people, some that are very seasoned, mature saints, some that have been in church, you know, for a long time, still don't know hardly anything about their Bible, and then some that are new to the faith altogether. And so I wanted to, I wanted to offer some frequently asked questions, some FAQs about tithing that I've heard over the years. They seem to be some of the most common ones. And some of these may apply to you. You may have had these questions or wondered about it, or um, you know, maybe they'll, they'll just reinforce the faith you already have towards it. Let's look at some FAQs about tithing. Point number one, or question number one, should I tithe on the gross of my income or should I tithe on the net? And that is a great question. 
To answer that question, go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 in the New International Version. I want you to see this translation of it. Malachi 3, verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe. I told you it was going to get worse. Bring the whole tithe. Not, not what's left over after you paid your income taxes and your mortgage payment, your insurance and your credit cards, and you filled all the cars up with gas. And then, you know, you just give God the tithe of whatever's left over on that. That is not tithing. Okay. It's better not to do it if you're going to do it like that, because it doesn't count. Say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. God pays attention to what you pay in front of him. God pays attention to what you pay in front of him. Because really, when you pay other things in front of him, it's revealing that you value other things in front of him. Okay. Uh, this is a great scripture in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. God gets frustrated with his people because he noticed that they were paying the government and the governor exactly what he asked for. And then they were coming and giving him whatever was left over. Look at Malachi chapter one, verses six through eight, please. God is talking to his people. He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am master, where is my reverence? Next verse says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse seven, you offer defiled food on my altar, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? He said, by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. Next verse. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? Next verse. And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Next verse. Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Now listen to this. In their economy in antiquity, their economy was primarily agricultural. Their system of trade was based around what they could grow out of the ground and the livestock that they owned. In fact, we still have an ode to this in our economy today, stocks and bonds. That goes back to the fact that Really, up until relatively recently, livestock and the ownership of livestock and the trade of livestock was a major economic system. So they would bring, God noticed, when it was, when it was time to honor their government with the taxes or whatever, they would take the governor the best of their livestock, all right? And then when it came time to go to the house of God, they would go through their herds and they would pick out the blind livestock or the diseased livestock or the livestock that had broken a leg and it never healed right. So it was lame and they were bringing God the leftovers after they had taken care of all of the other responsibilities in their life. And God noticed it. He noticed it then. He notices it now. So we tithe on the gross. We put God first. That's his proper place in the life of a believer. 
Question number two, what if I give my tithes to someone in need? Does that still count as tithing? This is a great question because helping people in need is also a fundamental Christian discipline. But tithing to them or using money that had been earmarked and set aside as your tithe taking that money and and using that to help someone in need is like taking something that belongs to someone else, God, and using it to give to another person. In Malachi chapter three, God himself designated and clearly specified where he wanted the tithe to go. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse or the place where you are fed the word of God. That's where the tithe goes, the place where you are fed the word of God. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. We see a great example of this. God had told King Saul through the prophet, he, there was a specific kingdom that they were overtaking, and God told him to, to, uh, to kill all of the livestock just to destroy everything, to, to make it a total loss. That was the word of the Lord to him. That was the instruction. Go in, kill all the livestock, start over. I want you to wipe everything of this kingdom. They were enemies of the people of God. He said, I want you to wipe it all out. And so King Saul went in and they won a great victory, but Saul kept the best of the livestock. And so Samuel comes to charge him up about it. And, you know, why didn't you obey the word of the Lord? And Saul said, well, you know, I kept some of the best livestock and I wanted to take a portion of them and and make a sacrifice to God. And Samuel told him, obedience is better than sacrifice. I'm going to say that again because I just hit a nerve right there. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So there are some people, I mean, people in this room, there are some people that, you know, you had, uh, you may have had, you know, 60 or $70 set aside to be your tithe. And, you know, someone came along and they were in need and the need was $300. So, so instead of the $70, you went ahead and you gave more, you sacrificed, you, you gave $300 to help this person indeed. And you feel real good about it, but you disobeyed the word of the Lord. Okay. And obedience to the word of the Lord is better than sacrifice. And incidentally, when you've tried to find yourself rationalizing or squirming with a commandment from God's word, what that is in you is the rebellion of the flesh. And Paul said, we had to, we have to put our flesh under subjection, our will up under subjection, up under subjection to what? up under subjection to God's word and his instruction. It is always better to obey the word of the Lord than it is to get something in your mind about how you think it ought to be. God doesn't bless how you think it ought to be, but God will bless his word every single time. He said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will stand for forever. I hope that answers that question. Question number three, I have no current income. Is it still possible for me to tithe in some other way? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. We've seen this in this church. Somebody, you know, is in between jobs and having a difficult time uh, having their income reinstated. They'll come and they'll give their time. They'll come and they'll serve the different missions of the church. They'll volunteer. And we've seen God bless people and reinstate their income, give them a job as a result of that kind of service. But when your income is reinstated, your tithing needs to be reinstated. Number four, I thought tithing was a principle only for those under the Old Testament law. I thought tithing was an old covenant principle. And now that we're in the new covenant, the New Testament in Jesus Christ, I didn't think tithing applied anymore. Is that true? That's a great question. Great question. If you study tithing in the scripture, you'll find that it does not begin with the law of Moses. Okay. We actually see tithing in the scripture over 400 years before the law with Abraham. You know, so the law, the Torah and all that, that, that came through Moses, but tithing was already existing in Abraham 400 years earlier as a way to honor the Lord for his blessing and his hand over his life. But then we see tithing under the law in the Old Testament, but we also see tithing in the New Testament. Now I want to show you one of the most beautiful scriptures in the New Testament about tithing. Look at Hebrews 7 and 8. I love this scripture. I think this scripture really solves that question. That question has been hotly debated in denominational circles for years. And I think it's debated by people who don't read the Bible. Um, Hebrews, look, look at this. It says, here on earth, mortal men receive tithes. What he means by that is, in the New Testament church, Jesus is the chief cornerstone and then the foundation of the organization of the church, not just this church, but every church that is a church, the foundation is apostles and prophets. So God gave fivefold ministry gifts, but he gave them to human beings who are mortal and one day will die. So you got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that make up the organizational structure of the New Testament church of Jesus Christ, also known as the body of Christ. And that institution has been commanded by God to receive tithes. But that institution is made up of people that are going to die one day. But look, look at what he's saying. Mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Now, look at this. Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs and then ascended into heaven where it is witnessed, I witnessed that Jesus Christ lives. Jesus is seen bodily in heaven. The Holy Spirit witnesses that Jesus is alive. God the Father witnesses that Jesus is alive. Revelations tell us, uh, tells us that the angels praise and glorify the fact that Jesus is alive. So Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, this scripture is telling us that although we are giving natural money to a natural 
church organization made up of natural people that are going to die, that when we give it on earth, in heaven, the risen Jesus is receiving what we give. Now, why is that significant to the question? Because Jesus didn't die in the Old Testament. He died in the New Testament. So is tithing still an active part of the New Testament church? Hebrews 7 and 8 said he's still receiving them today after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It is still a part of our active faith in Christianity today. Very, very good stuff. Next question, Bert, number five. I like this one. Number five, please. I've been told that if I don't tithe, I will go to hell. I don't know why y'all laughing. I've gotten this question before. I've been told that if I don't tithe, I will go to hell. I've been to some churches like that. Lord Jesus. I'd ask you if you have, you know, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. I've been told that if I don't tithe, I will go to hell. Is that true? Absolutely not. A lot of us come from denominations to varying degrees that made the mistake of tying human performance to divine salvation. Your salvation was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by your tithe dollars. Which is a wonderful thing because it means you can't buy salvation. You can't pay for it because Jesus paid it all. Consequently, you can give tithes to a church for 70 years and go straight to hell if you never had faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you never accepted the cleansing and the washing of his blood to cleanse you of your sins. So, so here's, here's an important note. Never confuse God's grace with your responsibility. Right. As a Christian, as a believer, the Bible puts responsibilities on you. Yes, it does. But never confuse those responsibilities with God's divine grace. That's how people get over into something called works righteousness. They believe they can be saved by their efforts. And that is a festering field for spiritual pride and actually losing your standing in the kingdom of God. If you think you're the source of it, if you think, uh, you know, how holy you are or how, how hard you try to do good and be good or how much you give to the church, if you think any of that has any standing on your salvation, you have deceived yourself. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, that is the thing that has washed you, cleansed you, and saved you and presented you to a pure and holy God. God who knows everything you've ever done and ever will do and yet still sees you righteous, not because of what you put in the offering bucket, but because of what Jesus Christ did when he offered his body and his blood for your sins. Amen. Thank you, God. 
Uh, we're teaching today, not preaching, so the preacher needs to settle down. Number six, what's the difference in tithes and offerings? And why does your church take two? Great question, really. The word tithe, <laughs> so funny. Uh, Pastor Derek's going to remember this. Uh, a few years ago, <laughs> my dad was, was up and he was challenging us in an offertory setting and challenging us to bring our tithe. And uh, a man came down and brought his tie, his necktie to the altar. <laughs> so I bring your ties to God, you know. Somebody else saw him do it, started taking their tie off. They weren't sure if it was like a special tie offering or. I felt bad for him. The guy just wanted to be right, just wanted to obey the man of God. Bring your tie to God. I'm going to bring my tie to God. Bless God. <laughs> the word tithe means a tenth. A tenth or 10%. God tells his people in his word that the tithe or 10% of all of your income is holy. The word holy means set apart. God goes on to tell them not only is it set apart, but that it actually belongs to him. That there is a 10% portion of all the money you get that God says is mine. Because in reality, you wouldn't have got 1% of money if God wouldn't have blessed you, raised you up, kept you strong. You know, so God's saying, it's all mine, but, but I want you to give me this portion that's set apart. So, this is an important note. We don't really give the tithe. We return it. Understand that we don't really give it because it belongs to him. We return it. And by obeying his word in returning it, it gives him an opportunity to test our hearts, to test our obedience and to test our trust and reliance on his word. Okay. Somebody say, ouch. Now offerings. Offerings, that's your money. There's no commanded offering in scripture. There's no amount commanded that you have to give God for an offering. So the tithe is our obedience and returning the portion of the income that's dedicated to him. An offering is something you chose to do with your money. You know, that, that is something that you give. That is something you extend to God by free will. You know, you're in church and you, you hear us talking about some vision thing that we're doing or some community thing we're doing. And, or, you know, you, you hear a word, you want to plant a seed on that word. We believe in that here. And, and those are all things that are offering. So the tithe is an extension of our worship service. Let me use another word. It's an extension of our song service when we're singing praise to God because tithing in obedience to God's word is in itself an act and an expression of worship. So we do the tithe as an extension of the worship service. 
And then for those who have a heart to give or want to give an offering, we give you an opportunity to do it at the end. But that is the difference between tithe and offering. And I'll tell you this, if you can only do one of the other, it's better that you tithe. Honestly, most preachers won't tell you this. Honestly, it's better to give $20 in tithe than it is to give a $100 seed. Okay, why? We already said it. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, now, can you imagine how it blesses God's heart when a tither comes and they return the tithe to God and then they're moved in the service and they say, God, I want to give you something. I, I want to bless you with something. I, I want to honor you with something. And they give an offer. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. But there's a distinct difference between the two. And, uh, you know, tithing is obedience and offering is sacrifice. And obedience will always be better. Always be better. Um, now, next, number seven. Why 10%? Why not nine? Why not 12? Why not 15? Why 10%? In the Bible, 10 is the number of wholeness. Everybody say wholeness. In other words, 10 represents the whole. Now, we don't just see this in the Bible. We see this in our numerical system, not just in America, but all over the world. Our entire numerical system is built around the number 10. In fact, 10 is as high as you can count. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven is just one on the next level. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Twenty-one is just one now on the next level. You understand what I'm saying? So you can count to fifty billion. All you've done is you've moved levels of numbers. You've never gone higher than ten. Now, knowing that. The tithe represents the whole, will add revelation to your tithing. It's not just that you gave God something today. What you gave him represents the whole of what you have. When you tithe, you're saying, God, all I have is in your hands. Most people look at tithing like they look at every other bill in their life. You know, you got your paycheck. All right, I'm going to peel this off and pay this. I'm going to peel this off and pay this. I'm going to peel this off and pay this. Now, God, here's your 10% that I owe you. No, 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 no. When you bring the tithe, you're saying, God, I don't owe you 10%. I owe you everything. But everything is represented in the 10 Okay. Now, in theology, this principle is called representative acceptance. Everybody say that with me. Representative acceptance. And this principle is similar to the one God used in salvation when he saved us. Because when Christ was accepted into heaven, not only did he go in for himself as the son of God, but he also went in as our representative to represent us 
before God. Look at Ephesians 1 and 6. Ephesians 1 and 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, who is the beloved? That's Jesus Christ, the son, the beloved son of the father. But it said he made us accepted in the beloved. In other words, when Jesus was accepted into heaven by the father, everybody who would ever be in Jesus by faith was accepted as well. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How are we seated? He didn't say we will be seated. He says we are seated right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? It's possible through the principle of representative acceptance. Because Jesus is seated in heavenly places and I am in Jesus, I am seated in heavenly places. In other words, when the first portion was accepted, the rest was covered. Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead or the first fruits of the body. Now, Jesus is one member of the body of Christ, but because that one portion was accepted in heaven, the rest of the body of Christ on earth is accepted, blessed, and covered in Jesus Christ. When is this is a very similar thing with the tithe. When the 10% is accepted in heaven, remember I told you Hebrews 7, 8, when you give your tithe on earth, Jesus accepts it in heaven. When the 10% is accepted in heaven, the 90% is accepted, covered, and blessed on earth. So the devil can't touch your 90% because your 10% has been accepted. The spirit of lack can't touch your 90% because the 10% has already been accepted. Now, tithing seals you in some very specific areas. And I want to talk to you about four seals. It seals you from certain things being able to get in and pollute you. It also seals you in something that you can't get out of. It's a beautiful thing. Now I want to take you through that four seals of the tither. Number one, through the tithe, we acknowledge everybody say acknowledge. It's a powerful word. I want you to focus on it on the screen through the tithe. We acknowledge that everything we have has come from God. Therefore, we are sealed against financial pride. You know, you've seen people get off in financial pride. They, uh, they, they jump up a few levels financially. And now all of a sudden, it's like they're the king of the world. And they got themselves there by themselves. They think, you know, they're everything. And, but the Bible says pride goes before a fall. And when you become your own God because of your own confidence and your own efforts and your own abilities, that's a dangerous place to stand. But when you bring the tithe faithfully, it is a reminder every time you give the tithe. God, I'm giving this because I acknowledge and I recognize I would not have anything if it wasn't for you. 
I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I didn't get here by myself. That's what you're saying when you bring the tie. I know I didn't get here by myself. I know I just didn't have this amazing bright mind. I would have been an idiot if you wouldn't have blessed me to be able to study and blessed me to be able to think. I know I didn't just get here because I impressed the right person on the job. You were the one that gave me the favor to climb up the ladder as quick as I did. I know I didn't get here by myself. In other words, you acknowledge God. That seals you away from financial pride. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And watch the warning against spiritual and financial pride. Lean not to your own understanding. But in all of your ways, here's that word again, acknowledge him, and then he'll direct your path. Now, that's a beautiful promise for the tither, because every time you're tithing, you're acknowledging God, and people that acknowledge God receive direction for their lives. You will never be without direction when you are tithing faithfully. God will send the right person at the right place at the right time or the right word or the right book or the right class or the right material, the right dream, the right plan, the right idea, the right vision, the right thing that you need when you need to make a directional move in your life. Direction is guaranteed. Where am I going in my life? Should I go back to school? Should I start the business? Should I write the book? Should I release this? Should I do that? Should I pull back on that? The tither receives direction from God. It's a guaranteed promise in scripture. If you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. It goes on to say, be not wise in your own eyes. Again, it's a warning against spiritual and financial pride. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It'll be health to your innermost being, strength to the marrow of your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance. Listen at Proverbs. Teach you how to be wise. Honor the Lord with your substance. What's that mean? Tithing. Honor the Lord with your substance, with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase. If you do, your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. It is a seal of the tither. Number two, the second seal. Through the tithe, you bring your finances under God's protection. Oh, my Jesus. My mama has been wanting to take my two little boys to Disney World for a long time. And my two little boys have been wanting to go to Disney World for a long time. And so this last week, we finally got it all together to make it happen. We, we had a time. But, but I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World as a parent. The tired that you feel when you get off that plane, the bone aching, tired, mind numbing, tired that you feel when you get off that plane is like crazy. And so, and so I was, I was almost home. We had made, we had made the flight. We had got back to San Antonio. I was almost home and I was so excited to almost be home. I was smelling my bed. I was just, I was just tasting my bed. I, I wanted to, to kiss my bed on the lips. I just, I really wanted to get to my bed. And, and so I, I had, I ran to the parking garage, got the car, pulled the car up 
and when I pulled the car up, I mean, there's so many people on the curb, you know, that they're all standing right here on the curb, you know, and uh, they're, they're getting in cars, you know, and the police officers there directing traffic at the airport, you know. So I pull up to the curb real quick. I'm going to jump out, throw the suitcases in the back as fast and hard as I can to get home. And so when I, when I pulled up to the curb and I stopped, I flipped the gear of the car up. And instead of flipping it in park, I flipped it in reverse and was so ready to get the luggage in the car so I could get home to the bed. I didn't realize it jumped out the car. And when I jumped out the car and the car door shut, the car started going backwards. Now there's a line of people in the crosswalk and I just know, cause I think real fast and I just see the whole thing play out. I know it's going to run over somebody. I'm going to get sued, possibly go to jail, have, hit somebody else's car and have all kinds of issues. Nevertheless, the cop is right there too. Looking at me like you idiot. I'm about to cuff you right It was one of those split second things that can happen in life that can derail your progress for years. You ever had something like that happen? Just one of those split second things that if it, that it just, you know, it, it, it could derail your whole life for years. And I don't know how that that car didn't hit nobody. I don't know how I was able to get back in that car and stomp on that brake and put that thing back in park. I don't know how that cop didn't come over and, and jack me. I don't know how none of that stuff happened, but I believe that it's because my finances and everything my finances pay for are up under a covenant of protection from God because my 10% has been accepted and I pay for that car with that 90%, that 90% and everything it pays for is up under the protection of God. That's the second seal. When you are, when you are a faithful tither, when you do it the right way, when you bring the whole tithe, when you're consistent with it, you bring your finances under God's protection. Therefore, we are sealed against lack. Okay. What is lack? It's anything that drains your financial pool. Okay. It's, it's any calamity that comes on you that pulls your financial strength away. Okay. You may know a lot of things in this life, but if you are a tither, you will not know lack. It's a biblical promise. David said, I have been young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. What is that? I've never seen right standing people, people that follow the word of God and do the right thing. I've never seen right standing people stuck in lack. I've never seen it happen. I prophesied to the tithers in this church. You shall know, no lack. Lack will not come upon your life. The spirit of lack over your life is broken. It doesn't matter if everybody in your family before you, all they knew was poverty and lack. If you were a tither, God has assigned you to this place so that blessing and increase can come upon your life and lack cannot live in your house. Oh, I feel that. Lack 
cannot live in your house. The moment you begin to commit to tithe, the spirit of lack is broken over your life and your finances are brought up under the protection of God. Somebody say, I will not lack. Now, one of the things the enemy tried to destroy our mental health with this year was the fear that we were going to lose our economy and lose our jobs and lose our homes and, and lose everything that we have. And I want the devil to know if the whole economy tanks again, the same God that kept us through the last crisis, through the last economic meltdown, shutdown, through the last virus thing that said it was going to kill and destroy all of us, the same God that kept us through that will keep us through whatever comes next, regardless of what happens when the tither stands up in faith and says, God, this belongs to you. Your stuff is put up under the protection. Oh, hallelujah. There's a few people that know what I'm talking about. If he's ever kept his hand of protection over you, don't let me be the only one testifying about how God kept me. I said if he's ever kept you in a tough season, kept you in a difficult place, may not have had everything that you wanted, but you didn't have lack. Stop preaching and teach. This is not a worked up, frothed up, spiritual thing like you can stand in a line and someone lay hands on you. This is a seal from the word of God. The oak of the Lord planted in the forest of eternity and twining its roots around the rock of ages. The word of God says, the word of God says that you will not be forsaken and you will not have lack if you obey this principle. It's a seal. Not a preacher puts on you, not a church puts on you, not a denomination puts on you, a seal that God himself puts on you individual. Do you hear what I'm saying? I said it's a seal that God himself puts on you as an individual. This means everybody else in the country can lose it. You may be the only one standing that hasn't lost it, but God will let everything fall apart around you and keep you standing up just to prove his word. It's a seal God puts on you that you're sealed from lack when you tithe. Glory be to God. <laughs> All right, good. Number three, one that I can calm down a little bit on. Amen. Amen. Number three, through the tithe, we cast down. Now, those of you that know your Bible a little bit know that the word cast down is spiritual warfare language. Okay. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, meaning our real enemy is never other people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, demonic spirits, evil spirits, rulers of the wickedness of this world in high places, spiritual darkness. And Paul goes on to tell us how we fight that, that we cast down. Um, demon spirits are not these monstrous, scary looking things. Demon spirits are things that come 
and try to find a root place, a foundational foothold in your mind. Okay. A demon is just a disembodied spirit, a spirit without a body. The demon needs a body to operate through in the earth because you can't manifest in the earth if you don't have a body. Okay. So the spirit of lying needs somebody's tongue to lie with. Okay. The spirit of lust needs somebody's body to lust with, you know, the spirit of murder needs somebody's body to murder with, you know? And so Paul says when those spirits, they, they constantly come to us. They constantly will tempt us. They constantly will try to seduce us. They constantly will try to get us to give them the opportunity to manifest themselves through us, right? Because we have a body and they don't. So when Paul talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing, that's thought life, casting down every thought, that when those evil impulses come, those evil thoughts come, that we recognize we're in a spiritual battle and we cast it down and refuse to operate in it. So that's cast down is spiritual warfare language. So through the tithe, and I didn't know if you knew this, but tithing is active spiritual warfare. Did you hear me? Tithing is active spiritual warfare. Through the tithe, we cast down any struggle we may have to worship the gift over the giver in our lives. Therefore, we are sealed against greed. <sighs> greed is a nasty devil. It can turn people into monsters. If you've ever known a greedy person, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it can start off, you know, little silly things in childhood, not wanting to share your cookies or toys or whatnot. That thing goes unchecked. You've never seen a monster like the spirit of greed. You know, one of the main reasons people get divorced in this, this time that we're living in finances, you know, the main reason for financial arguments and struggles is one of the two partners, if not both are dealing with a spirit of greed. There's conflicts between family members, conflicts between parents and children, because one, if not both are dealing with a spirit of greed. Greed is insidious and what it does to you on the inside, what it turns you into is absolutely brutal. But through the tithe, we actively cast down that spirit. Now, uh, let me, let me give you this. Oh, as your income level increases, be, be careful. Listen to me. Don't hear what I'm not saying and get mad. Just stay with me for a second. As your income level increases, the importance of you tithing also increases. Why? Because it gets more difficult. It's only more important 
because it's more difficult. I mean, every level of money that, that you'll ever encounter in your life, every level, has a devil of greed attached to it. Okay? It's a test you have to pass. Money in itself is not evil, but the Bible does say that the love of money is the root of all evil. So with money, along with money, I like the way some people's spirits kind of start jarring and get all dissented when I say money. Along with money comes the test of greed on that particular level. So if your tithe is $20 a week, uh, for some people, for some people that knocks them out. But, but for other people, they're able to resist the greed on that level. When their tithe goes to $100 a week, the devil of greed has just multiplied himself. It's a stronger pull. Okay. So now as you've gone up, tithing has become more important because the force of warfare you're going to face, the force that you're going to have to resist against has increased. So, you know, you're tithing a hundred dollars a week and, and you get uh, raised up, you know, and, and God blesses you. And now you're, you're getting to a place where your tithe is going to be $200 a week. And all of a sudden you start thinking that's 800 a month. Wait a second. You start thinking and calculating what could I do with an extra 800 a month, you know? And now that disembodied spirit of greed is working on you, okay? And now the pressure and the resistance is increasing. Now you're starting to feel all your other bills a whole lot heavier than you normally do. Now you're starting to think about all the things you got to put back for and all the things you got to handle and all the, the, the must-dos that you have to do with your finances. And now you're in the struggle of your life. And really, it's just good old-fashioned spirit of greed. It is far easier than you think to turn your income into an idol. We see it in the scripture. All right. Those of you that are a little seasoned in the word, you remember in the book of Exodus, God's bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's crushing the bondage of their oppressor. He's going to set them free. But before he parts the Red Sea and lets them go free, he said, I don't want you to go out of here empty. So I want you to go to the Egyptians. I'm going to give you favor. I want you to go knock on their doors and ask them for their gold. When Moses told the people God said that, the people thought Moses lost his mind. I ain't going. And the people that have been beating me for years, I ain't going and asking them for nothing. Moses said, trust me. If you go knock on their door, they'll empty out their wallet. And the people of God went shaking in their boots, knocking on the door. Can I please have some money? And the Egyptians, the favor of God was just on the people of Israel so much. The Egyptians just start dumping their gold and their wealth on them. Primarily, primarily it was in the form of gold. That was the currency Egypt traded in. But, you know, not even 40 days later, children of Israel get out in the wilderness and they, you know, Moses is up in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, getting the law and all that. And now uh, the people are without a, some leadership for a few days. And what do they do? They took 
their money, their gold, and melted it down into a golden calf, an idol. And they started worshiping their money. That's all the golden calf was. The people of God worshiping their money. Incidentally, the money God gave them. Valuing the gifts God gives more than the God who gives the gifts. And you know what these jokers had the nerve to say to that golden calf? You're the God that brought us out of Egypt. And that's what you say every time you refuse to honor God with your tithing because you think it's too expensive or there's something else you can't sacrifice and live without, it's easy to lift up your income and say, this is the thing that's making me strong right now. This is the thing that's keeping my family secure right now. This is the thing that's keeping us safe right now. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Through the tithe, you cast any spirit that would tempt you to do that down. You cast it down. Now I feel a spiritual vein coming. That's good. You can feel that in the room. But I just want to tell you, whatever poison is plaguing you, the antidote is found in a fundamental truth you already know, but have either ignored or forgotten. Amen. Amen. I'm not done yet. It's 1157 if you need to take a pill or something. <laughs> Number four. Through the tithe, we enter into a financial covenant with God. Now, I told you the things that we're sealed against. All right. Now I want to tell you the thing that we are sealed inside of. Through the tithe, we enter into a financial covenant with God, and we are sealed inside of a promise. Now, what does covenant mean? Covenant, the definition is a written agreement or promise between two parties for the performance of some action. And the Bible has four primary covenants. They're called the divine covenants. What are divine covenants? Divine covenants is where God puts it in writing in his word. I will do this if you will do that. Here's the four big divine covenants. The salvation covenant, Romans 10, 8 through 10. God said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved. In other words, I will save, I'll do this if you will call on the name of the Lord in faith. I'll do this if you do that. Salvation covenant. Number two, the healing covenant. That's found in James chapter 5, 13 through 16. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil. Pray the prayer of faith. God will heal them. Jesus said healing is part of the children's bread. And you have a right to expect divine healing in your life according to the covenants of scripture. We've seen it happen. We've lived it. I've lived it. Number three, the marriage covenant. That's found in Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Husband and wives, you are not just in a covenant relationship with each other. You are in a covenant relationship with each other and God all at the same time. It's three in one marriage. That's an amazing thing. And then finally, the financial covenant. 
So you got salvation, healing, marriage, financial. And the financial covenant is Matthew 3, 10 through 16. And I want you to know the tenets, the particulars of the financial covenant. So in Malachi 3, verse 10 through 12, all this is what God said. God said, I will do this. Malachi 3, 10. I read it earlier, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in mine house. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. One translation says the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. In other words, God is saying, number one, I will open up a channel between you and I. God is saying to the tither, I will open up a channel between you and I. I want you to say this with me. Obedience opens the heavens. Ooh, I like how tense that felt coming out of your mouth. Obedience opens the heavens. Let's say it again because we can't. Obedience opens the heavens. I got so tickled. I was, listening, I was listening to a worship leader here several years ago, and he was jumping around doing cartwheels, you know, and his whole thing in that season was, we're going to open the heavens with our praise. We're going to open the heavens with our praise. We're going to open the heavens with our shout. We're going to open. I mean, he was sweating, whole shirt, everything was just sweated out. He was working hard. He was singing. He was awesome. There was a lot of great stuff, but he was screaming about open heavens, and he wasn't a tither. It is not what you say that opens the heavens. It is what you do. Sit there and look at me if you want to. I came prepared for your tale this morning. It is not what you say. You may be shouting dancing, praying, speaking in tongues, and running all over the church underneath closed heavens. And have the nerve to ask God, what's going on? It is never what you say that opens heaven. It is always what you obey that opens heaven. Obedience opens the heaven. Say it with me again. Obedience opens the heaven. If you'll say it real loud this next time, I won't make you say it again. Obedience opens the heaven. I had to tell you that for the next time you plan on complaining on God about why things aren't going right for you, just to shield our Father from your criticism, I had to let you know that the reason it may not be working like you thought it would work or work out like you thought it would work out is because there are fundamental commandments in Scripture that you are not obeying. Obedience opens the heavens. Number two, God said, God said, this is a tenet of the covenant. God said, I will release what's been withheld. In other words, I'll pour you out a blessing. Now we missed that. If you understood it, you would have shouted about that because we missed that. It's not like we come and we drop the tithe down and God says, hmm, I got to get a blessing ready for them. 
the blessing is already in store. I'm not talking about this ethereal, abstract blessing. There's a specific, detailed, personal blessing your life needs right now. I bet you there is. I bet you there is. And I bet you what's a blessing to me may not be a blessing to you. My clothes won't fit you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans and the thoughts I have towards you. Plans of good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. Meaning God who knows every detail of your makeup. He knows exactly what you need at this age and this stage in your life. He knows what your life is missing. He knows what you are going without of. He knows the blessing that needs to be released right now. But he can't release it because he's bound by his word. Only your obedience. Oh, I knew you would love that. Only your obedience can release the prepared blessing that is already in store. So he says to the tither, I will release that thing, that specific thing that's been withheld when you bring the tithe. I'll pour you out. A blessing that is individually customized to hit the areas in your life that need it the most. I'll pour you out a blessing. And then number three, God says, and I will cause you to have excess. Now this goes back to our text. I know it was a long time ago. In Isaiah 51, where he said, I'm going to increase you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to turn your wilderness into the Garden of Eden. That's what he promised he would do to people that return to the fundamental bedrock, to the stone that they were cut out of. They go back to the basics. He said, I'll cause you to have excess. In other words, I'll pour you out a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive Therefore, forcing you to have excess too much more than enough. Now, we see this in the lives of the Old Testament church and the children of Israel. When they were in Egypt, they had not enough. When they were in the wilderness, they had just enough. When they went into the promised land, God blessed them with more. Oh, I feel it more than enough. Now, most of you have already been through your season of not enough. You're currently living in the season of just enough. But this year, God told me to tell you, he's ready to transition you to your place of excess more than enough. And the key to it is hidden in a simple, old, fundamental principle that you may have forgotten or you may have ignored. Or something you may have been doing with your faith detached. 
everything in the kingdom of God functions through and by faith. We do not give, Paul said, out of necessity or out of being talked into it. We don't give by somebody standing up in a pulpit crying, talking about how much the church needs your money to survive. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is say what the word says, release the promises that the word said, and let the people who believe it respond and let those who don't continue to go their own way. I am not, oh, if you knew how much I was not doing this, it'd blow your mind. I'm not trying to convince you. Okay. Uh, yeah, our church is in a better position than it has ever been. No, I'm not trying to raise an amount of money this morning. There are some deficiencies in your life. There are some places that need the promises that have been spoken today from the word of God. And it's my bleeding heart as your pastor. Or for those of you that haven't really connected here yet, I want to be your pastor. It's my bleeding heart that you would latch on to these principles and you would begin to see the hand of God move in your life in supernatural ways, taking you from not enough, just enough to more. More, more, so much more. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what this year had in store for you from heaven's perspective, if you knew what God was ready to release, it would blow your mind. There's more. I hear the Lord saying, not less, more, not decrease, increase. More. The antithesis of what the world is projecting, heaven is screaming at the earth through the word of God, saying there's more. But it is released and manifested in your life through consistent, faithful obedience. Obedience to an old fundamental truth. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a hand praise. Now listen, I got a whole lot more fundamentals to share with you. We're going to go through some amazing things. There's so many fundamentals in our faith from prayer to spiritual warfare to the spiritual doctrines of the name of Jesus and pneumatology and all of these things that are just pouring out of the word of God. I want to share it all with you, but I wanted, I wanted you to get this piece first, this understanding first, because it, honoring God and seeking God first in the area of your finances, it really hits home to the direction of your heart. You know, because what you spend on reveals, again, what you value. And I want to I challenge you to value the Lord this year like you never have before. Lift up your hands all over the house. Father, I pray that the seed of your word will take root in the hearts of the people who heard it today. 
I pray that the word caused cuts in some and conviction in others and healing to come forth through those things. That those areas that they have been held back in their life, Lord, that you will cause those doors to burst open for them as they step out in faith and trust the fundamental promises of your word. God, I ask that you bless them and increase them as they obey and seek your face. Thank you, Lord, for every person up under the sound of my voice. Bless their families. Bless their relationships. Bless their businesses. Bless the industry they work in. Lord, bless their marriages. Bless their children and their grandchildren. Let your blessing be upon them as they obey your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you, Christian.